she probably knew what she was dealing with. She probably confided in her family and her friends and was looking for a way to get out. And we know that in cases of intimate violence, the most dangerous time is when someone is leaving the relationship. Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we're all just trying to survive in a rough world. What's up, STS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, where we promise to bring you the best guests in all of true crime, and this episode is no exception. But first, we want to say that our thoughts are with the missing mother of three, Anna Walsh. The search for the missing Cohasset, Massachusetts mother entered its 10th day. She has not been seen since the early hours of New Year's Day, officially reported missing on January 4th. Our best guests lineup today featured two very interesting individuals. The first is an internationally recognized expert in the security realm. Anthony Amore has also worked in Homeland Security at the federal level in aviation and facility security, as well as immigration enforcement. He is also an expert, and listen to this, in matters related to security, fine art, and in the theft of highly valuable property, including rare masterpieces. He's one of the world's top experts in the field of stolen art investigations. Anthony is the best-selling author of Stealing Rembrandts. His second book, The Art of the Con, was a New York Times bestseller in crime. And he also has a book out called The Woman Who Stole Vermeer. Uh, he just recently wrote an article for the Boston Globe in the last day or two called Brian Walsh and the Art of the Sloppy Con, which he will walk us through momentarily. We're joined also by Dr. Daniel Bober, a board uh, certified in general psychiatry, child and adolescent psychiatry, and forensic psychiatry by the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology. He's also a diplomat of the American Board of Addiction Medicine meaning he's a certified addiction medicine uh, physician. Some quick housekeeping notes. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. On Twitter, we're at Podcast STS. You can support us at Patreon. You can listen to us anywhere podcasts are found. And as my eight-year-old daughter likes to say, please subscribe and hit that like button. It gets the algorithm chugging. With that said, there is a bit of uh, news just coming out. And, uh, I will reveal it right now. Anna Walsh, this mother who is missing, told police, this according to the Boston Globe via a local news reporter, told police in 2014 that her now husband, Brian, had threatened to kill her, according to a police report, and a person briefed on the matter. To the psychiatrist first on this, uh, does this surprise you at all, Dr. Bober? No, it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, we've seen cases like this before. Uh, think about Lacey Peterson. Uh, this is a situation where it's been building for a long time, probably months, if not years. She probably knew what she was dealing with. She probably confided in her family and her friends and was looking for a way to get out. And we know that in cases of intimate violence, the most dangerous time is when someone is leaving the relationship. So she very well may have been hours, if not days away from leaving. Um, and him and his last stab, if you will, his last, you know, gasp of power uh, took her out because of his ego and the fact that he felt like he was being abandoned. 
Um, this article in the Boston Globe goes on to say that about a year before they were engaged, Anna Walsh, then Anna Nipp, K-N-I-P-P, told Metropolitan Police in Washington, D.C., that a man threatened her during a telephone call and said he was going to kill her and her friend. Now, the report doesn't identify the man by name, but there are sources who say it was, in fact, Brian Walsh, who many suspect of this crime. Anthony, hearing this news right now, uh, what comes to mind? Well, uh, first, I I loved hearing the doctor's analysis of this. So uh, in terms of that sort of personality, I think um, it's a very interesting analysis, doctor. I think um, what comes to mind from my perspective, from a criminal perspective, is the idea that he uh, lived a uh, or li- has lived a very um, chaotic life. He's done a lot of things that I would uh, I would deem antisocial uh, in terms of ripping off his father uh, for half a million dollars, um, uh, taking a loan from a, a good friend would have to be an extremely good friend, I'd say, for half a million dollars, and then um, walking away from it, not paying him back. Uh, these sorts of behaviors, and of course, uh, uh, the art crime that he committed, which was just a blatant, um, sloppy uh, act of fraud against um, innocent dupes. Uh, They point to the sort of person who would be involved in um, perhaps a disappearance or or a violent crime. Of course, we don't know which has occurred at this point, but um, he certainly doesn't doesn't, um, lend a lot of confidence in his background when you read it. Uh, when you think of him vis-a-vis the ongoing investigation. And Anthony, you happen to be an expert in art fraud. That's what I love about my job in the media. I always talk to fascinating people. How in the world does one become an expert in art theft? Well, I had spent the early part of my career as a federal agent and as a, a government security person helping to rebuild security at Logan Airport after 9-11. So I had this experience in security and investigations. And uh, in 2005, I went over to the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston, which uh, 32 years ago was victimized in the biggest heist, biggest property heist in the history of the world, when more than a half a billion dollars worth of art was stolen. So 17 years, I've been investigating that case on behalf of the museum, uh, side by side with an FBI agent, and uh, really uh, jumped right into the world of art crime and, and studied it obsessively. Uh, I've written a bunch of books on it. So um, I think that it's, uh, it's a field that is pretty niche, um, but occasionally you do see a nexus between art crime and violent crime. And I've, I've worked on cases where the two have intersected before. And there's uh, an excellent documentary on Netflix about that crime that Anthony speaks of, worth a watch. Um, so there's some other news. Apparently, Anna Wal- Walsh sold off her assets, according to reports, for cash just days before her disappearance, uh, even leaving behind a note. Uh, friends tell NBC Washington that she had been rushing to get rid of assets, including her apartment and car, in late December. Dr. Bober, does this sound to you like a person who was worried about uh, imminent danger or an imminent threat uh, who is just trying to basically get out of Dodge and escape? Well, I think when you look at these cases, it's important to retrace the steps of the person in the weeks and the months leading up to their disappearance. And you always have to pay attention to these very you know big decisions in life 
like transferring assets, you know, things that are outside the norm. So you have to believe that something was happening, something was going on that was leading up to something big. And maybe she was about to leave. Uh, like I said, you know, this is pure speculation based on what I'm seeing because I've never evaluated him or interviewed him. But it's, you know, it, these are the actions of someone who's getting ready to do something, who's getting ready to make a change, something big, a transition. So I think it's something that, you know, we need to pay attention to. And I think you were saying uh, when we were talking off camera that every family has uh, a secret, at least one. Is, is that um, kind of a hard and fast rule that you've found as a psychiatrist? Yes, that, that every family has its secrets and no one knows what goes on between two people except for the two people. Uh, you know, we see all these celebrity couples on Instagram and on TV, uh, even our own friends. You know, we look at their marriages. We say, wow, they really have the perfect relationship. They're so happy together. And then you find out, you know, uh, a month later that they're getting a divorce. And you're like, wow, I didn't I didn't see that coming. Uh, it's because with people, you only get two things, you know, what they what they want to see and what they show you. So people live a, a life. That's really a projection. Uh, it's sort of their representative, if you will. I call it the Facebook fallacy. You know, you go on Facebook and you see people with their baby bumps on their ski trips and everyone seems so happy. Uh, and then you find out that they're suffering from drug addiction or they're about to get a divorce or they just lost their job. In our society, especially in Western society, we're so concerned about status and image and we have to have it all together. God forbid we show any weakness, any vulnerability. Um, so I think it's important for people to project that image that they have it all together. But we know from our own friends and our own family that a lot of people don't have it together. And uh, I'll one up you on that and call, I'll, I'll, I'll dub it Instagram insincerity. I always see my wife scrolling through Instagram. Everyone's life looks so perfect. And uh, exactly like you said, then you find out, you know, uh, the husband's having an affair with another man or whatever. Or the wife it is. just got out, got out of rehab or something like that. Yeah, you know? it's, all, it's always, some, always something. So back to the, the latest news here. There also uh, appears to have been a message written on the side of a champagne box. We all know that uh, according to the husband, Brian Walsh, he uh, disappeared New Year's Day. Um, and that message says... And I'm going to quote here, wow, 2022, what a year. And yet we are still here and together. Let's make 2023 the best one yet, exclamation mark. We are the authors of our lives, courage, love, perseverance, compassion, and joy. Love, Anna. To the non-psychiatrist, Anthony Amore, who's got love in his last name, does it sound like she was uh, full of it? in terms of being full of love here, or do you think this was just some cryptic, insincere uh, little, you know, message message that she left on a bottle, not in a bottle? It's very difficult, you know, because as the doctor said, we don't know these people, and I don't know her. I don't have a baseline for her. I don't know how she communicated with her husband. Typically, this, you, you know, um, you both uh, refer to Instagram um, aptly, uh, Anna's Instagram portrayed a beautiful, happy, glamorous, um, uh, fulfilling uh, life full with filled with luxuries. And we didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. It seems like some of it could have been a facade. This note that she left could have been a facade. You know, I, I um, Joel, I mentioned I, I watch your 
your broadcast, and I, I watched it a lot because of the Idaho uh, murders, uh, which just captivated a large portion of the, the nation. And to, uh, because I'm an investigator, I, I watch it thinking to myself, you know, what we know is such a small little piece of what the investigators know. In the Idaho case, bore that out, right? When when the, when we saw that affidavit, um, uh, the probable cause affidavit, and you saw what was in it, and that's just a fraction of what the police knew. It was nothing like what the public thought. And the same is true when we talk about the Walsh family. Um, God only knows what was going on inside the home. Perhaps he was very, very angry. Perhaps, perhaps and again, it's hypothetical, perhaps on New Year's Eve, he was uh, expressing doubt in her and in her fidelity. And that's why she left a note like that to quell him until she could get things in order. It's all until we know the facts, it's all conjecture um, about the note. But it, it's uh, at best, all I can say is it's interesting and perplexing. And Anthony, it warmed my heart to find out you're uh, a member of STS Nation before we ever met. So thank you for watching. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, to you, doctor, uh, this message. Wow. 2020 to uh, 2022. Uh, we are the authors of our lives. Courage, love, perseverance, compassion and joy. Sounds very much like an Instagram post to me. How does it read to you? Oh, I think it's less concerning what was on the surface of the bottle than what was being bottled up. And again, the image that she was projecting, which, you know, again, this happens all the time. It's all great. Everything is wonderful. My marriage is great. My job is great. I just got a promotion. Uh, so again, you know, all these people, why do people post their lives on Facebook and Instagram? They put a completely sanitized, idealized image of their life. And I think that's what's going on here. Again, I think she's, you know, dressing up her life and making it look like everything is fine. But we know that it was quite different than that. By the way, just for the record, I don't do that. I just posted a, a diatribe of mine aimed at my three young kids who don't even know what a rotary phone is. And I was yelling at them and told them I didn't have Google, told them I had encyclopedias. I had to go to a library. Anyway, I got out of hand. So not sanitized on my end. But I digress. So, um, Anthony, you wrote um, an interesting article, uh, basically basically calling Brian Walsh a sloppy con man. Um, tell us, if you can, the thesis of the article and what you found out uh, in writing it. Well, uh, the article is based on his crimes committed in the realm of art. And I was aware of his fraud. Um, from a few years ago, because I know the FBI agent who investigated the case. I know her very well. She's a top-notch agent. And um, when you look at you, when you look at what he did, when he was what he what he did in a nutshell, it's much more complex than this. But he had a friend in South Korea who bought some uh, art. I was going to say it with the Boston accent. There, I'm sorry. He, he bought <laughs> some. Do. I love it. Your your non your non regional diction, right? <laughs> right. I'm trying to right. do that Mid Atlantic accent instead. Right. So. Um, he, his friend purchased some art and it was, uh, uh, a couple of Warhols, three of them, and a couple of Keith Herring pieces and a piece of statuary. Anyway, Walsh told him I could sell this for you in the United States and then instantly went into a fraud scheme instantly puts the, um, puts the, the, uh, Warhols up for sale on eBay using Anna's account, um, but when the person in California purchases these for $80,000, what he sends, the courier, are not the real Warhols. They're bad, bad imitations of them. They, 
And it's just sloppy. And uh, for instance, when he put them on eBay to sell them, one of the great identifiers are the stamps that he claimed around the back of these paintings because he knew because he had the real ones. But the ones he sent with the courier didn't have these stamps. I mean, it's an obvious fraud. It's not hard to figure out. As soon as the purchaser, who was an art dealer in California, received the Warhols, he looked at them and knew on their face that these were fakes. So in a lot of art fraud schemes like this, and this is what my book is about, you don't see great forgers in the movies you do, right? But a great art scam, a great art forgery scam is never about how great the artist is because scientists and connoisseurs can pretty quickly tell that they're fakes. It's about two things. It's about the, the, the willing dupe who wants to get something that nobody else has or for a great price. But more importantly, about the fraudster and the nerve that they have. It's I refer to it almost like a Superman complex where they just believe they're so smart and so able that they can pull something over on anyone. And that's why they'll bring forth this, these pieces that are easily discerned as fakes and, and sell them. It takes a lot of gumption to do something like that. You know, we all think of crazy schemes in our head. We're sitting in traffic and we think, you know how I can make a million dollars, you know, but you would never do it. These people do it. And that's what Brian Walsh did, right? He had this crazy idea and did it. And it's that, it's that willingness to take that step over the line that he has shown many times in his life, whether he's been prosecuted for it or not. And um, so again, the, the art scheme, lousy, the willingness to do it, um, uh, great on his part, the willingness, right? And it worked. He sold them for 80000 The guy called him out on it. He sent him back 30000 and kept giving, me, giving him excuses about the other fifty until the person called the FBI. And that's how he was ultimately arrested. I feel like uh, a Warhol would be, it's not more than 80 grand. I feel like it would be more than 80 grand, but what, well, the, I don't know. Yeah, right. The two together, well, they were small works on paper. We're not talking about the big silk screens yeah. and they weren't the famous ones. These were called shadows, these two. Um, and, you know, it's different than, say, a Rembrandt where it's hand painted this and that. It's not the big silk screen. So the smaller works would be of lesser value. Um, but again, it, it, it wasn't about Warhol. It wasn't about Keith Haring. It was about lying to a very, very good friend of his in South Korea. This person was very close to him and very trusting, saying I can sell them and immediately going about a scam um, to rip people off repeatedly. And Dr. Bober, to you, I mean, there's obviously a financial motive to sell fake art, but what does it say about what's going on inside his mind that he believes he can get away with this? So most people who aren't sociopaths or psychopaths operate on the principle that they're motiva motivated for reward and they try to avoid punishment or negative consequences. Psychopaths or antisocial people or sociopaths they all are different names, but they all have overlapping characteristics. They will take on these challenges. They have no aversion. They have no fear of getting caught. Uh, and also, art fraud, which is a fairly sophisticated crime if you're doing it well, he obviously thought he was a lot smarter than he was, or he was just very sloppy about it. So it just shows his inflated sense of self-worth and, and his abilities uh, and just how sloppy he was and how poorly thought out this was. And again, a guy who is so impressed with himself, but 
is severely lacking in the judgment and, and in the foresight of what he's doing to enter into something that, again, requires a, a high level of sophistication. There's a lot of other cons, a lot of other scams he could have pulled that were a lot simpler, but he chose to do something, and it just shows how poorly planned this was. Because this is my background, I'm just curious. Anthony, has every single media outlet in the greater Boston area, have they reached out to you for comment? Not yet. No. Um, interestingly, uh, I know them all from uh, the, the case that I work on is very, very popular. Um, they're, you know, right now, understandably, the, the media is focused on homicide. And, and although, again, as I, I mentioned, it hasn't been declared a homicide investigation. Um, we don't know if she's missing or, or a victim of a violent crime. Uh, and I loved when the doctor spoke about Anna's actions leading up to her disappearance. And then the other part of the investigation is his actions after the disappearance, right? And his actions after, since the disappearance have been so deceptive that he has been arrested and arraigned and charged with misleading the police because he is, he is not helped. He's lied, um, allegedly lied. Uh, about his whereabouts and his actions. And again, as the doctor just mentioned, really uh, said it very well, his lies about what he did in the days after the disappearance are so extreme in that they are so easily discerned and proven. I mean, um, I, I happen to have spent most, most of my life in the very neighborhood uh, that his mother lives in. At one time, I lived basically next door to his mother. And he mentioned going to the Whole Foods and the CVS and Swampscott, where I was every day. And anybody going into these places realizes that there are cameras all over the place. It is very easy to tell if you've been in there or not, and if you've purchased things or not. And likewise, having gone to Home Depot, not telling the police that, and having bought $450 worth of cleaning items, the idea that he could lie about these things to the police and get away with it illustrates what the doctor was talking about regarding his personality type. And not to mention, he was allegedly wearing an ankle monitor for the federal fraud case. Anthony, do we know if he had it on? Some people said maybe the battery died, maybe he cut it off. Have you heard any further news about that? I haven't. Uh, I would be shocked if the battery died. I would be even more shocked if he cut it off because if he cut it off, the authorities would know and he would so have been charged. What I that. had heard was that, that, yes, he was wearing an ankle monitor, but it was not GPS tracked. So in other words, he would, he would leave the residence and he would say, okay, I need an hour to go out to the store, but there wasn't GPS monitoring capability. So in his mind, he may have, may have thought, well, if I could just make it to Home Depot real quick, I can be back in an hour when they're expecting me. So uh, that was something I read in another outlet, so it may or may not be true. No, I think that sounds very familiar, Doctor. And, I, and, and if memory serves me right, I could be wrong, but I think he did give an excuse for where he was going. He just didn't go to the 